Oh, welcome, guys. So, uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about faith as good news. So, faith is good news. And the reason we're doing that is because we are right in the middle of a series that we're calling Faith is Blank. So, really, what this means is that over the summer, we've been filling in that blank. So, faith is peace. Faith is hope. Faith is hard. Faith is, like, all of these different topics. And the coolest part is I didn't pick any of these topics. Uh, that was actually all up to you guys. So in the lobby, as you're leaving slowly, and there are breakfast burritos this morning, so please partake. Um, I believe there's something religious we could make out of breakfast burritos, but for now, they're just amazing. Um, uh, yeah, go in, go in there, grab a breakfast burrito, and then also go check out, there's a, uh, there's a painting it's in there that Bobby did that we actually put upon the painting um, different things that we believed faith was or questions of faith that we had. And those are what we've been pulling from all summer long. So uh, let me pray for us as we dive into this good news business. Then um, we'll go, oh, one other order of business. Uh, next week, we won't be having a children's ministry. Um, Chelsea and I are actually out of town. So uh, there's going to be children's stuff available, but it will be in the lobby and they'll be in here for worship. So uh, if you do have kids, please absolutely feel free. We're going to have a lot of stuff going on for them. Um, it just won't be in the regular room. So just uh, note that, and we'll be worshiping here together. Uh, let me pray. God, uh, I just pray over this message this morning. Um, we're going to talk about some very awkward and weird stuff, and so I, I love it, and I hope that it goes well. And um, Lord, just, just be with us as we walk through what, it, what good news actually is. Because uh, there's so much, we're, we're in a world that's just inundated with lots of news. And I think the coolest thing that we can do in a church space is actually talk about what it means to truly be good news, both the good news that we receive and the good news that we bring out into the community. So, um, Lord, just be with us. Amen. Uh, so I'm going to tell you a series of stories that's going to um, enlighten you all on what a weird child I was. Uh, so I'm humbling myself before you. Just don't judge me throughout this. And there's going to be a tendency to judge. Just I've, I've gotten through a lot of this stuff. <laughs> I've come on the other side, just a little bit. Uh, when I was a child, I did not like to watch the sad part of any movie. So if they put in a VHS tape... I would watch Bambi up until the point that his mom died, and then I'd be like, I'm out. <laughs> or I'd fast forward past the mom dying up until the part where the fire is. I know, I also watched Bambi a lot. That's very strange, too, but that was one of my favorite movies. Um, and then that grew into a habit. And books, books were the same kind of thing. Like when my mom would want to read a book with me, one, I did not like books when I was a kid. And then two, I only liked the parts of the books in which people were talking. So I just liked dialogue. And if they tried to read anything else, I would take the book, and I would trot it back to the book box, and I would throw it in. Like, I'm not reading that. Uh, the other weird, weird part as I grew older was I still didn't like the sad part of movies, but I kind of got over that. But I did figure out that with every VHS, I could fast forward to the exact moment that I really liked. And being a Star Wars fanatic as a child, I happened to know that one hour and 31 minutes into Empire Strikes Back, there was an epic lightsaber scene, and I would just fast forward right to that, watch the lightsaber scene, and move on with my day. That is kind of continued as an adult. I'm still, I'm, I'm able to like sit through a movie now, read a book, like it's not as extreme. I've worked through a lot of my issues. However, uh, there, there is this weird thing that came up where I still like to watch the same thing over and over and over again, like I did when I was a kid. Do you remember when you were a kid and you could just watch the same movie like dozens of times? Like you would get it from like Blockbuster, RIP, and you would like watch it over and over and over again, like it was this like treasure because it was, it was fleeting. Like you wouldn't have that that cassette later. So you would watch it as many times as you possibly could. Most of us grow out of that phase. I never did. So there's a couple things that I like to watch over and over again. One is Seinfeld. 
So like, I'll just put Seinfeld on pretty much in the background because I have most of it memorized. But I'll just watch it and, and it, it, it just kind of soothes me. It's just very comforting. It's not like I have to experience anything new and I'm a very like, safe person. So like, Seinfeld is safe for me and I'll put it on. And I found out I'm not actually alone in this. This is a real thing and it's called TV therapy. And the idea is that in a world that is constantly changing so rapidly and so fast, the things that we're familiar with, Seinfeld is a big one for a lot of people, uh, we watch them over and over again and it creates this sort of soothingness because everything around us is changing so, so rapidly and yet this thing stays the same. Everything around us is going crazy and yet when I come to an episode of Seinfeld, I know exactly what to expect, right? Now there's a weirder one and this is where I want you to suspend judgment. Uh, my favorite movie of all time is a movie called Ratatouille. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Absolutely true. And I came to this movie as an adult. Like, Pixar was just taken out. I was like 22 when this movie came out. I love this movie, okay? Love this movie. But I don't like the second half of the movie. I actually don't care for any of the cooking bits. I just like the parts where there's a little rat running around in Paris. So every now and again, <laughs> Chelsea will fall asleep. She's on a teacher's schedule, which means that she goes to bed around 8.30 every night, and then I'm left to just watch the weird stuff, like Ratatouille and scenes that like, I don't have to share with her. So I turn on Ratatouille one night, and it, it's on, and it gets to this scene, uh, if you know the film as, as well as I do. Uh, the little rat uh, goes up, and he, he finds out that he's in Paris for the first time. And he looks out, and it's, it's, it's Paris, it's beautiful, he sees the Eiffel Tower, and uh, he's like, all this time I was beneath Paris. I thought of so many sermon illustrations I could use for this movie, but again, it's weird. Like, people have only seen Ratatouille maybe once. <laughs> so, uh, we get to this point. Chelsea's fast asleep. I think it's like midnight or something. And I latch on to this scene in a new way like I've never latched before. And I was like, man, Paris, how awesome is Paris? How awesome would it be to go to Paris? So, this is the plight of like modern technology because it's too available. I take out my phone and I start looking up, well, how much would it be to fly to Paris? Fast forward an hour, it's about one in the morning, I've booked flights to Paris. <laughs> I literally did not know what to do the next morning, so I didn't tell Chelsea. All I told her, and I quote, I like woke her up and I said, hey, I just want to let you know, I made a drastic choice last night. <laughs> and she goes, what is going on? I was like, I'm gonna figure out a good way to tell you this, but for now, just give me grace, and then I'm gonna figure this out. And she literally thought, like, maybe I had committed some crazy crime, or like, I, she had no idea what to expect, because I, I shrouded it in mystery. Um, eventually, she found out that I watched Ratatouille in the middle of the night and booked a flight to Paris, um, <laughs> which didn't go over well either. Uh, but the point is, we tend to latch to things, right? Like, I'm not alone. Maybe it's not as dramatic as watching Ratatouille and booking a flight to Paris. I understand that. Um, but we tend to latch to certain ideas that maybe are just for us and not for other people. I, I find it fascinating that someone can see a piece of art, listen to a song, watch a movie, look at a piece of art, and pull away something completely different. But we bring ourselves into whatever we encounter. And so when we encounter something as beautiful as art, oftentimes people will say, like, well, I really, I think that's a symbol for this, or I think that's a symbol for this, or I really got this. And then the other person really got this over here. How is that possible? And the reason is our hearts latch to what we want the most. Our hearts latch to desire, to passion, to the things that really cause us to light up in the world. So another part of this crazy uh, Paris story is that I scoured the internet for the cheapest flights available, and I found them. <laughs> However, I did not know what airline I was signing up for. 
Um, there's a little known airline named Wow Air, and I told Omid about this last week, and he joked, and it's like, oh yeah, Wow Air is called Wow Air because when you arrive, you're like, wow, we made it. <laughs> it's not the safest airline in the world. In fact, as I was doing research, and I forbode, like Chelsea was like, well, maybe I should look up stuff. I was like, don't look at this. Like, just <laughs> don't look into this. Uh, their seat sizes are actually not regulation, and they're a safety hazard. Uh, there's no Wi-Fi on board. It, I mean, this is like bare bones stuff. You have to pay for every bag you bring. So. Anyway, I began to think, oh, well, I'm not going to have Wi-Fi on this flight, so I, I'm like, I got to get some books, I got to get some um, things like that, and we're trying to pack really light, and so I was going on my Kindle, or my iPad, the Kindle app, and, and trying to find books that I could read on this flight, and it reminded me of something that works so well in both of these camps. I despise e-books for one reason. You can see the other people's underlines or highlights. And for some reason, that drives me nuts because it feels like I'm late to the party. Like when I open up the thing and I see that someone has highlighted that, I'm like, well, I would highlight that. And most of the time, I highlight the things that other people have highlighted simply because my dumb monkey brain is like, <laughs> but I'll highlight it because I, I find something there that maybe someone else found profound. And I'm like, oh, am I missing something? Right? And suddenly, I'm pondering what some man in North Dakota highlighted like seven years ago in the same book going like, wow, well, I wonder why they underlined that. I wonder why they highlighted that. And then I think about all the, the lines and the scribbles I put in books and the things that I underline, and I wonder how many people would brush past those lines and just not care at all. Those aren't the lines that light them up, but those are the lines that absolutely speak to my heart. And that's what I think is so beautiful about it, like a normal book is we're underlining and scribbling and doing all that stuff. It's the kind of book you just can't give away to a friend at the end because you've put too much into it, right? Those are the kind of things. And I wonder just in life, as we're walking along, what we're highlighting in our own lives and what other people are highlighting about our own lives. Like, I often wonder, like, the things that I would underline are the best parts of me, right? I would underline the mission trips that I've taken. I would underline my faith. I would underline, like, uh, just the good parts of my personality. But the fact of the matter is, there should be other people out there who are underlining way different narratives in my story. They may have underlined the time that I was a complete jerk. They may have underlined the time that like, I, I wasn't the best that I could be. And so it gets me thinking, like, as we live our lives out like a story, because our lives are like a piece of art, they're like a story, what are people underlining? How are they seeing us and what are we doing to create the best underlines possible? How are we conveying the stuff that we really want to show? And I would argue the stuff that we are underlining, highlighting, ratatouilleing, are the good parts of life, the good news, right? And there's a flip side to that, that unfortunately we tend to underline the things that hurt us the most. Like the things that like, we have to carry with and reckon with and like just the guilt, the shame, the stuff that we shouldn't have, but we do. And we underline that tons and tons of times. Like, and there's no reason for it. And yet we do. We hold on to that stuff. It's the good stuff that we should hold on to, not that guilt and not that shame. And the story that we're going to talk about this morning speaks to that, and it's, uh, it's very awkward. Right? Uh, there are tons of these lines in Scripture that are just like, why is that in there? <laughs> like, why did that make the cut? For instance, here's one. It's out of a book called Deuteronomy. And if you uh, want a book that's really going to throw you for a loop, read Deuteronomy. Um, it says, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. I'm going to let your imaginations run wild there for a minute, but they're talking about uh, eunuchs. And they're talking about this group of people that were um, just really 
oppressed and used in the wrong way, and, and just, like, it, it's a really dark part of Scripture. And here's a verse, it's just a one-off line, like if you read Deuteronomy, it's just rule after rule after rule after rule, and this just happens to be in there, but why? It's a throwaway line, but it hurts in so many different ways. So, Josh, why are you bringing up eunuchs in church? Well, the answer is in Acts. So we need to push forward from Deuteronomy to the fifth book in the New Testament. So right after the Gospels, we have this book called Acts, which actually for a community like us, Acts is maybe the most important book that we can be reading right now because it tells the story of the early church. If the Gospels are all about the stuff that Jesus does with his humanity, then Acts is the stuff that he does with our humanity. So it's carrying on the story. This is the first book that we have that points to the faith that we all carry today. For the first time, the disciples, the apostles, they had to look around, and there wasn't this flesh and blood Jesus right across the room to be able to bounce ideas off of. Now they're left with something even more present, but it isn't physically in front of them. And so that's the faith that we carry right now and today. And it leads them into some extraordinary places. The main key theme in this book is all about extending the kingdom to places that they never thought that it would go in the first place. In fact, I would say the main theme of Acts is surprise. Like, God, you want me there? Like, why there? There's one character, he doesn't get a lot of airplay, uh, but his name is Philip. And Philip um, is a guy we don't know a ton about. We do know that he's sent out by the church. Uh, We know that that the early church uh, identified him as a key leader. And uh, Philip comes on the scene, and immediately we have this action moment. We meet Philip, and then immediately after, we're told that an angel has come to Philip, and he says to go to Samaria. And we spent a lot of time talking about Samaria in this room, so I'm not going to like belabor the point here, but Samaria was still a place that you just wouldn't really go if you were a Jewish person. They were, the, the, the irony behind it is that they're actually both from the same family line, but like, they look at those people and they say, like, they've got it all wrong. Sound familiar? <laughs> there's, there's a lot of similarities in them, and yet they look at each other just because of a racial divide, because of a tribal divide, and say, no, 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 those people over there, they don't have it correct. And in fact, if we want to be good Jewish people, what we're going to do is, if we're traveling from the south end of our nation to the north end, instead of cutting through where the Samaritan lives, we're going to walk all the way around as a symbol of just like, we don't like you guys. I mean, how vindictive do you have to be I've told this story before, but it's like as if we wanted to drive downtown and we hated Culver City so much that we wanted to drive all the way around Culver City. Like, who cares? No, Culver City doesn't know. <laughs> Samaritans probably didn't know. You could walk right through, but and yet they would walk all the way around. And there are instances of Jesus entering this, this place. He tells stories about these people. And each story that he tells is always this redemptive story of including people that were not included before. In fact, one of them is about one of those excluded people actually being good news to someone who is quote-unquote inside the system, and they were outside the system, and yet this good Samaritan, the Samaritan comes upon this person and helps them. So every story that Jesus tells about Samaria and the Samaritans is always about redemption. It's always about, hey guys, I want you to take a closer look at these people because my good news is for them too. So, this probably rings a bell for Philip, and he goes, okay, Samaria, I get it. Like, that's kind of the thing now. This is the hip place to go, because Jesus did it. So I'm going to go to Samaria, even though I'm going to be, like, kind of cast aside by family and friends, because I'm going to this place where I'm just culturally not supposed to enter into. And what he finds there 
is something even crazier than Samaritans. So Philip is walking along. He reaches Samaria. He's following God's call to go and bring this good news to this area. And all of a sudden, this carriage. And this isn't like a normal carriage. This would have been like, just like, I mean, it's like, imagine like a Rolls Royce running through the desert. This is this, this beautiful, gorgeous carriage. And in it is sitting this eunuch. This man who was a servant to a queen in Ethiopia, very wealthy queen, and he's likely a messenger. And the scripture tells us that he's traveling from Jerusalem back to Ethiopia, and he's going through Samaria, right? So we have over here, Jerusalem, which is the temple. That's the only reason he would have been going there. So it says that he was worshiping at the temple, and he's on his way back. And here's the coolest thing. He's in this carriage, and he's reading the scripture. And he's just over and over again, he's reading the same passage, and he's reading it out loud, so loud that <coughs> Philip can actually hear what he's reading, and he, and he encounters him. And I, I think, how often do we come back from, like, maybe it's a conference, maybe it's a concert, maybe it's a movie, we just come back so fired up about what was said or done in that environment that we have to keep, like, diving into it. We want to tell everyone, right? Man, did, could you believe that that happened, or can you believe that he said that, or I really came alive when this was spoken. This is what's happening to this eunuch man who is on his journey back from the temple. He's found this scripture, and he keeps reading it over and over and over again. And there's a really important aspect of this eunuch as well, and that's that at this very temple that he would have gone to, he would only be allowed in so far because of that verse that we read in Deuteronomy. Anyone who's crushed or maimed cannot enter the temple. That law is still in existence. So what he could do is enter the quote-unquote this is a great name. We should call the lobby this, the court of God-fearers. <laughs> so the eunuch was able to step into the court of God-fearers. That's the same court, by the way, that Jesus came in and threw over the tables in that classic Jesus rage story where he rolls in and, and says, this has become a shopping mall and not a house of prayer. And the main reason that he's so angry in that moment is not because the church put a fancy coffee shop out front. It's actually because what they were doing was desecrating the only space that people from the outside were allowed in. The non-Jews, the Gentiles, you have eunuchs, you probably have Samaritans, you have people of all cultural backgrounds. This is the only place that they're allowed in, and this is also the place that they've made a shop. They've desecrated this holy ground, and it's the only place within the temple grounds that people are really allowed to encounter this God. And what's incredible is that they step into it. They step into a space where they're marginalized and not fully allowed, and yet they're still stepping into it because there's something about this God that is so compelling that I'll go through all of this just to get a glimpse, just to be near to where we believe God dwells. So uh, Eunuch is, is reading the scripture. I'll go to the scripture because it's going to do a much better job of telling the story. Um, this is out of Acts chapter 8, verse 30. It says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot. This is him running towards uh, the Ethiopian man. He heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This, passage of, this was the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. This is important. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? Now that is a throwaway line. To us, that's just sort of a bleak piece of scripture. What does that really mean? But you have to remember, to this eunuch, this is probably a verse that absolutely made him come alive. 
Because look at the language here. It says, um, who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? From the eunuch's perspective, who could speak of his descendants? Right? And as a lamb before the shearer, that's a blade. Right? You're, it's opening this pain in this man's heart over a way that he was put down and oppressed and just dehumanized. And he's looking in the scripture and he sees something that points to something inside of him where he goes, whoa, that sounds really familiar. I think I'm seeing myself in this story. And the fascinating part is that he's just reading it out loud over and over and over again, trying to just understand, like, who is it? Who's talking here? Is it, is it Isaiah? Is it the prophet? Or is he talking about someone else? And so Philip picks up here. Uh, the eunuch asks Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And here's the deal. There's another verse in Isaiah that may have led this man to the book of Isaiah, uh, and that's this. And he found good news here again. This is out of Isaiah 56, 4 through 5. The Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, choose what I desire, and remain loyal to my covenant in my temple and courts, I will give them a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an enduring name. Guys, that's in the Bible, and so is that verse in Deuteronomy. We have this hope for this group of people, and then we have language that completely takes them out. Now, I'm going to ask you very seriously which one we should be underlining. Because to this eunuch, this is good news. And to the people that want to keep people out, who's in, who's out, keep that court of God-fearers going, the other one is good news. And that's the problem. We can latch to things the same that I can latch to a thing in Ratatouille and think it's the greatest movie ever, and most of you will give it a B plus, right? Like, we can latch to things just because we're so fascinated with them or because we believe so blindly in them. But I want to tell you this morning that if it's good news, it always starts with love. God's good news for us is that there is a new reality in which we can stop underlining the guilt and the shame and the hurt and the stuff that we carry with us and we can start underlining good things that include all people. Let's go back to this eunuch story for a minute. Philip is with this man. He's just met him. And he hears this and he, he answers him. He's not actually talking about the prophet because that was the, the eunuch's question. He says, yeah, I was actually talking. That, that's, that's pointing to something much greater and here, I'm going to share with you this whole story. I'm going to share with you all about Jesus, this Jesus that I know, this Jesus that is bringing this brand new kingdom. And this leads the eunuch and Philip down the path. They keep talking, and they come upon a body of water. Convenient, right? I wonder who put that there. So there's a body of water, and the, Philip, the eunuch turns to Philip and says, hey, what's to stop me from getting baptized right now? And I wonder what Philip did in that moment. Like, truly, the first gut reaction. Was it, oh, nothing, come on, let's do it. Or was it all of the guilt and cultural shame that he would have been carrying with him? All of that kind of oppression, all that stuff that he has learned. Like, no, these people can't actually, like it says in Deuteronomy, they can't enter into this t temple thing. But then he remembers all the words of Jesus, and he goes, wait, this looks a whole lot more like Jesus. This is the beauty of the scripture, guys. We have all of these words, and then we have the word that became flesh. 
So as we look at all of these words and the confusing stuff that comes up, like that verse in Deuteronomy, we're like, why is that in there? We have to use Jesus as the litmus test for every single scripture we do. If we can bounce it off of him and it looks like Jesus, then boom, we've got ourselves good news. And if not, it's just not good news. So Philip says absolutely nothing. And he takes the unit and he baptizes him. And I want to be really radically clear here. That's crossing every cultural boundary. That could get Philip in a whole lot of trouble. And here's the brave part. He's in the middle of nowhere. He could do this and tell no one and not get in trouble. Glory to God. Someone's been baptized. Someone knows about Jesus. Awesome. He can come home and just never share. Be like, talked to a whole lot of Samaritans. Under no circumstance did I hop in a chariot with a eunuch and baptize him. Instead, this story makes the cut. So Philip was brave enough to come back and say, this is what I did, and I'm so alive because of this. Because I found that there's more grace, that there's more love. And I think this is the, this is the grand problem of religion, this is the grand problem of faith, is that there, there are moments in our faith where our God becomes too big for our religion. And the cup that we used to have to hold that God no longer can hold it, and we need something bigger to hold this faith. And good news, the gospel, is that that just keeps continuing and continuing and continuing to the point we look back 10 years from there and we're like, whoa, look at how far I've come. It's a progression. It's a journey. That's what faith is. There was this, um, there was this moment, uh, it was a couple years ago. I, was in, I just started seminary. Uh, and some, some stuff went down in my life uh, that really caused me to start doubting and questioning and going down that rabbit hole, underlining bad news, right? Uh, and it got to a point that was so severe that I just, I, I straight up proclaimed to myself, I'm no longer a Christian, I can't believe this stuff. Because I couldn't, I couldn't bounce it off the Jesus stuff. Like, I couldn't bounce off all the oppression that I saw, all the hurt that I saw, all the betrayal that I had experienced within the church community, all of the hurt that I had experienced, I couldn't, I couldn't bounce that off of Jesus anymore. And so I was just like, I, I, don't, I can't believe this anymore. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in it. And for a uh, new seminary student who literally has one skill set, that's not good news. <laughs> so I, I wrestled with this for a matter of months. I wrestled this for a really long time. And I found myself going into a really small church. And I was meeting at night. And uh, I, I came in with all my cynicism, all my anger, all of my, like, you know, screw you attitude towards this little church that had done nothing to me. And I walked in with all of that, and I start tearing everything apart, like, oh, the music, oh, this, that, that, just being the most critical person I could possibly be. My heart was just completely shut down. I was operating on fumes. Uh, and then this really amazing, miraculous, profound thing happened where we took communion. And that's the reason we do that every single week here uh, is because I believe this is the most important thing we can do as a Christian community because what happened to me when I came up to this table is that I had, was coming like beaten and broken down, just feeling like this religion thing is hurtful and it has hurt me and it's going to hurt other people. What am I doing here? And when I arrived at this table, I remembered what this was for. This very table was set up for people who are beaten and broken. This is the bread. This is my body. Break it. This is my blood poured out for you. I realized in that moment that this table is about a savior who understands what it is to be beaten and broken and betrayed by the very religious system he came to redeem. 
And when I realized that, I realized one other throwaway line that is so vitally important to our church, to our cause, and to our Christian life, and that is this. John 3.16 is one of the biggest hits of the Bible. <laughs> For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, right? In fact, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So I thought of that verse, and I was like, that is in and out language, right? That means that some people just aren't going to get this, and that doesn't make sense to me. But then, and this is why this is so profound and why it's a throwaway, I don't know, but we need to underline it again because it's extremely good news. That next verse, John 3, 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And then if you look up that word condemn in the Bible, as you start with condemn in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there's a lot of condemning, 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 condemning. And as we go up to the New Testament and after Jesus, we realize that con that condemnation word is often associated with there is no more. <laughs> Every time it is spoken after the Gospels, there is no more condemnation because of Jesus Christ. Because of what Christ has done for you, there is no more condemnation. We're underlining the wrong things. We're after news that is all about fear, and that's powerful, but it's not, it doesn't start with love. And good news starts with love. In that moment at the table, I felt like I was seen by God. That was my moment in the chariot where he's reading the scriptures and it comes alive for him. And he's like, oh my gosh, I, felt, I feel seen by God. This morning, as we approach the table, I pray that you would be seen by God. Feel that love for you and understand that there's a greater narrative and that we need to start highlighting new lines because this faith is, is just bigger. This Jesus is too big to be contained uh, just with rules. So let me pray, um, and then we can approach the table. Uh, Lord, thank you um, so much just for uh, the stories that we have of your love, of your redemption. Um, God, I just pray that if, if we're carrying any of that guilt or shame uh, or hurt, that we could just let it all go as we approach the table and understand that you're a God who's lived through this all, that you understand this, and what good news it is that you have been with us through the muck, through the craziness, and you've also been with us through the joys, through the healing, and through the redemption. We hold both as we remember what you've done for us and as we look forward to what you're going to do in our lives. Amen. Um, so if you guys want to all stand, and then the front row can come forward.